And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have reached the midpoint of our Lenten journey. You always know this because the third Sunday of Great Lent is the Sunday of the Cross, and the Church takes the image of the Cross and all that it means for us, and it places it right in the middle of this 40-day period. It's interesting that on the 14th of September, towards the beginning of the ecclesiastical year, we have another Feast of the Cross, and on that day we strict fast no matter what day it is. And we think about the fact that the cross, among other things, is our denial of our Creator. Our denial of His invitation to bring us into a union of love. Our denial, therefore, even of our own nature. As human beings made in His image, called to be like Him. And so we fast, and we think about this, and then we try, through this feast day, to venerate His cross and repent. And to draw near to Him and to His grace so that we don't deny Him. We do not deny ourselves and we do not say no to His invitation to enter into this relationship of love. We have the coming feast on Holy Friday which is another feast of the cross but this one is related very closely to His passion. And so in this one we think of His self-sacrifice. We think of the suffering Not as a victim, but as victor. But nevertheless, we think of just what Christ went through to manifest and display and express His love for us. That this cross was not a pretty thing. But today's different. And I wanted to read to you some beautiful things here that are said about why the fathers chose the third Sunday of Lent to literally plant the cross in our midst. Before the arrival of the king, his royal standards, trophies, and emblems of victory come in procession. And then the king himself appears in a triumphant parade jubilant and rejoicing in his victory and filling those under him with joy. So does the Feast of the Cross precede the coming of our King, Jesus Christ. It reminds us that he is about to proclaim his victory over death and appear to us in the glory of the resurrection. His life-giving cross is his royal scepter. 
And by venerating it, we are filled with joy, rendering Him glory. Additionally, the Holy Cross is called the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life that was planted in the garden is but a type. But this is the true fulfillment of the Tree of Life. And it is placed in the middle of the fast as the ancient tree of life was placed in the middle of the Garden of Eden. By this our Holy Fathers wish to remind us that if we bind ourselves to the Holy Cross, we shall never encounter death, but shall inherit eternal life. And so essentially, what the Fathers are trying to do is they are trying to place right before us at this midpoint a source of encouragement. The good news. To remind us once again, why are we fasting? Why are we intensifying our prayer? Why are we going to more services? So that we can prepare for this victory of all victories. Christ's third day resurrection. Every year as we're approaching this feast day of the cross, it takes me back, and I'm glad Yerobi is here, it takes me back, and Elaine is here. It takes me back to my pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Those two ladies accompanied me. And in Jerusalem is this beautiful monastery, among other many monasteries, but a beautiful monastery of the holy, precious, and life-giving cross. And when you walk, my, 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 my memory of this is a little bit fuzzy, but I think you walk into the narthex of the Catholicon, the main church of this monastery, and it's ancient, by the way, and there's a iconic scene in there that I had never seen before. It's a scene of how the tree of the cross came to be, and how it was called the cursed tree and then became the cross of Christ and changed everything. And so I wanted to share with you what the monks told me about this icon and uh, relate it to today's feast. So we know that three angels came and visited Abraham and he gave them hospitality. Each of them was carrying in their hand a staff one of cypress, one of pine, and one of cedar. And after the visitation and after the angels had their dialogue concerning Sarah and concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, they left the staffs with Abraham. Then, when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and Lot fled safely with his wife and two daughters, and the wife turned back and became a pillar of salt, the two daughters and Lot were on the run, as is told to us by Genesis. And in the 19th chapter it says that the two daughters, fearing that because they were on the run, that there would never be men like their father to pass on the name and the uh, family. So they, in successive nights, made their father drink wine. And each of them went then into to, to, uh, the cave where he was sleeping. And he fathered in each of them a child. Well, he felt horrible after this. And Abraham, who was his uncle, 
knew that he was having a hard time with this, so the story goes. And so he gave them him the three staffs, and as a way for him to see the power of God and his forgiveness, and to actively work through this sin that he had committed with God, he told him to plant the staffs in the place of Jerusalem, where this monastery was eventually built, and to go down all the way to the Jordan River and back up to Jerusalem and, pl- and water these staffs with the water of the Jordan River. And after a time, the three sprouted and fused into one and became a tree. And they cut this tree down much later when Solomon was building the temple. And they wanted to use it as part of the structure. But every time they tried to use it, it was ended up being either too short or too long for the application that they wanted. And so finally they said, this is a cursed tree and we can't use it. And they cast it aside. But nobody ever destroyed it. And so it lay there. And then when the time of Christ's crucifixion came, this is the tree that they used to make the cross out of. And so it became from the cursed tree to the most holy, precious, and life-giving tree by its use in Christ's crucifixion. It's interesting that if you think about the whole of that story, you think about the visitation of the angels and what that meant to Abraham and to Sarah, you think about that this, these staffs were used in the repentance and the experience of forgiveness when Lot saw that these three dry pieces of wood, through obedience, blossomed, sprouted, and fused together, becoming a tree. And that it wasn't worthy, in a sense, or too worthy to be used in the building of the temple, and then becomes the precious cross of Christ. So I wanted to continue and to say that the things that God deems of ultimate value are often discarded by the world. And the things that the world thinks are so precious and valuable are often seem foolish and empty by God and the kingdom of heaven. And this cross is a perfect example of this. Christ's crucifixion is a perfect example of this. Christ Himself is a perfect example of this. We sometimes as Christians are perfect examples of this in the world. And I wanted to close from an excerpt in the homily by St. Theodore the Studite who died in the beginning of the ninth century. He has some very beautiful things to say about the precious and life-giving cross. And I quote, How precious the gift of the cross! How splendid to contemplate! In the cross there is no mingling of good and evil, as in the tree of paradise. It is wholly beautiful to behold and good to taste. The fruit of this tree is not death, but life, not darkness, but light. This tree does not cast us out of paradise, but opens the way for our return. This was the tree on which Christ, like a king on a chariot, destroyed the devil, the Lord of death, and freed the human race from his tyranny. 
This was the tree upon which the Lord, like a brave warrior, wounded in hands, feet, and side, healed the wounds of sin that the evil serpent had inflicted on our nature. A tree once caused our death, but now a tree brings life. Once deceived by a tree, we have now repelled the cunning serpent by a tree. What an astonishing transformation! That death should become life, that decay should become immortality, that shame should become glory. Well might the holy apostle exclaim, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The supreme wisdom that flowered on the cross has shown the folly of worldly wisdom's pride. The knowledge of all good, which is the fruit of the cross, has cut away the shoots of wickedness. By the cross, death was slain, and Adam was restored to life. The cross is the glory of all the apostles, the crown of the martyrs, the sanctification of the saints. By the cross, we put on Christ, and we cast aside our former self. By the cross, we, the sheep of Christ, have been gathered into one flock, destined for the sheepfolds of heaven. And with that thought, my brothers and sisters, may we look to the cross for a source of encouragement, of power, of life, of victory, and of hope. And may it literally buoy us through the next half of this great journey to our Lord's passion, His life-saving crucifixion, and His glorious third-day resurrection. And may we make this journey together, supporting one another in love and humility and transparency and vulnerability as we see our own weaknesses, but we help other people like yourselves to complete successfully this journey to the cross and beyond the cross to life everlasting. Amen.